The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. Welcome to Election Connection. I'm your host, Ruth Newman, and this show is divided into three segments, the first of which is a rebroadcast of part of a show taped in September of 2019. Today, I am here with Angeline Rudd, Victoria Strange, and Melissa Morganson, and these are all people very passionate about democracy and voting and elections, and especially now in this era that we're living in. (laughs) Hard to describe, isn't it? Alternate truth. And there's plenty of different ways to register. You can register online. You can go to the Jefferson County Clerk's Office. I've got listed the Downtown Branch, the Westport Branch, Middletown East Branch, Jefferson Town, Dixie, Fairdale, and Highview. But it's easier to just go online. You can go to elections.jeffersoncountyclerk.org. There's a bunch of places you can go to. You you can just go to jeffersoncountyclerk.org. And on your cell phone, you can go to govotekentuckyspeltky.com. Govotekky.com. And you can get all kinds of voting information, including registering to vote. So, when is the absentee ballot deadline for voting absentee? (laughs) I know you have to apply for a ballot at least seven days prior to the election so that you have time to receive it by mail. And I believe your completed ballot has to be received in the county clerk's office, I assume, by 6 p.m. on election day because that's when the polls close conveniently. Yes. At 6 p.m. And so we are one of the early. few states that close so oh, early. Yes. Yes. Well, we can't let too many people vote, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's not All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about election equipment. And we're also going to talk about um, other aspects. But first, let's talk about election equipment because, as a lot of you know, and Maybe one of us here can explain what happened in the uh, 2000 election with the Florida ballot counting. What exactly happened in that incident? Was it Gore versus Bush? Bush v. Gore. Well, they were using in, I guess it was Miami-Dade County uh, and possibly other counties as well, somewhat antiquated punch card voting machines that actually, I guess you line up mechanically on a voting machine, your votes, and you put your card in. I'm not sure exactly how they work, but they, however you've aligned the pegs or whatever it is, levers that you're voting with, it punches a card. Mm -hmm. And of course, sometimes the punches didn't go all the way through, and but you could and we hanging the chads. Because the vote was so close, a recount was conducted, and that's where you got all the pictures of 
election supervisors peering up at the light <laughs> through these ballot cards oh, yes, yes. and to determine the, 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 the uh, intent of the voter, to determine if they had intended to vote for Bush or Gore and whoever else was on the ballot. To explain, this is one of the anomalies in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, the exit polling all pointed to Gore winning, mm -hmm. and then suddenly he wasn't winning. So, and the same with Bush Kerry. Mm -hmm. So that was an, an anomaly that still hasn't been explained to this day. So that turned into a fiasco, and Congress provided $3.6 billion to states and territories to upgrade their election system. And uh, that was in order to establish minimum standards for voting systems. And for that purpose, they created the Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, in 2002. And that turned out to be the first time that the feds provided funding for state election systems. And the, the mandate of the Elections Assistant Commission, or the EAC, is to promote the effective administration of federal elections. So that hasn't turned out too well in the intervening years for a number of reasons, one of which is that it's overseen by a guy named Brian Newby, who was appointed by Chris Kobach. Yes, and he is the head of the EAC. He's the executive director. It's supposed to have four commissioners, but the latest information that I got from ProPublica is that there are only two commissioners, one of whom is Christy McCormick, who has derided the notion of Russian meddling in the 2016 election. In 2016, she wrote, it is my opinion that the entire thing is complete BS. And ProPublica has asked repeatedly if Ms. McCormick's views have changed, and she has repeatedly refused to answer. Stonewalling, very characteristic of yes. the way things operate now well, in right. government. No transparency. No. And on top of that, the executive director, Brian Newby, has blocked travel of key staffers at the EAC who specialize in cybersecurity, preventing them from attending what training sessions have taken place, according to ProPublica. They prevented them from from attending sessions, yeah, for education on training sessions for the various for all of our states. Yeah. What is ProPublica again? Yes, it's a nonprofit organization that aims to produce investigative journalism and in 2010 it became the first online news source to win a Pulitzer Prize and since then it has partnered with over 90 different news organizations and has won five Pulitzer Prizes. Including the Courier-Journal, recently. Very good. Oh. And I think it's mostly formed of journalists who got laid off in the great continuing mass layoffs in journalism all over the country. So yeah. these are professionals. It's not a bunch of hacks. It's real professional yeah. journalists. But they seem like they're pretty legit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's so odd that this is what seems to me is happening on the Republican side, they seem to be assuming that any meddling in an election, in an American election, will be to assist them. Mm -hmm. And so they're taking no action. I mean, maybe I should say the Trump administration in particular. I mean, to me that is so strange. 
Because if there's meddling in an election, why couldn't it go the other direction? Yeah, why couldn't it go the other way just as easily? And Trump has basically openly on national television invited foreign governments to interfere. Yes. When he was being interviewed, I think it was by George Stephanopoulos in the Oval Office, and George asked him if he would still take a meeting with the Russians who were offering dirt or any foreign government who was offering dirt on his opponent. And he said, I think you'd take that call. So basically, there's an open invitation. The welcome mat is out. And you just wonder, why does one side seem to believe that any meddling will be in their favor? And why wouldn't you want to protect mm -hmm. America's election system? It should not be a partisan issue. Yeah, according to McConnell and other Republicans, they oppose it because it imposes federal standards on an issue that is traditionally handled by states. That's, Even though that's a federal the, election is federal. Yes, <laughs> yes. Not state. And we're now election. dealing with, with nations and mercenaries of nations. Larry Nordham of the Brennan Center for Justice says it is unrealistic to expect all of this investment in election infrastructure to fall to the local level. The Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law is a nonpartisan law and policy institute that works to reform, revitalize, and when necessary, defend our country's systems of democracy and justice. This is what they have as their mission on their website. Grover Norquist, who's president of the Americans for Tax Reform, yes, a Republican, we remember him. says the best estimates show that we can replace all paperless voting machines in the U.S. for about the cost of a single F-22 fighter jet. It's not practical to expect local election administrators in rural areas to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the premier government-backed cyber mercenaries of China, Russia, and North Korea. Yeah. So, good point. Very Grover. good point, Grover. Probably <laughs> one of the few things I've... And here's what Oregon Senator Ron Wyden said at this year's DEF CON conference. He said, quote, I'll be damned that when we are up against the Russians and all their military and all their cybersecurity might... We're going to send out the county IT guy. So what does he suggest the solution is? Actually, what I've been finding in my research is uh, the most immune system to any kind of hacking is uh, paper, paper voting. And that can be optically scanned. And actually, Jefferson County does use that. We have an optical scanner and we do, and we also have paper voting, but 91 of Kentucky's 120 counties use machines that do not provide paper records. So, yeah. So unless there's a recount, you, right. you know, and you, because you do have the paper ballots that you vote on as a backup, but Sometimes. unless there's some reason for a recount, you're never going to know if that tallies with what the machine totaled. But and remember I, all those little places that had mysteriously lost their paper yes. ballots or misfiled them or oh, we shredded them or you know. right like a week after the election that's right right so <laughs> i don't know if paper is the answer either well in my reading uh, of research for this i have discovered that there have been problems with those optical scan machines oh, as sure. well 
Oh, yeah. So they're not oh, immune, no. but at yeah. least mm-hmm. they have a paper backup. Well, you know, there. have you heard of something called flipped voting? No. I, I found this in ProPublica's, one of their publications. During the voting for the 2018 Texas general election, an election advisory was issued by the director of elections, Keith Ingram, Voters using the InterCivic eSlate voting machine, which in fact is what Louisville uses, <laughs> could have their votes adjusted or flipped while on the summary page. And a flipped vote occurs when a voter selects a candidate, but the voting machine shows a different selection. <laughs> oh. So they, can they program it to do that? Or is it just a, like a glitch? How does that... I don't know, but they have problems. They all have problems. And, and what was it that we used to use before all of this? Well, I remember voting on those old machines with the little curtain that you pulled behind you yeah. when you stepped in and then you pushed down. It was no. a metal sort of box that sat in front of you with levers that you pulled down. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky has 3,700 precincts. Okay, interesting. I did not know that. One other thing about lever machines and punch card machines, they last longer. They last decades, whereas the voting machines we have now do not last a decade. It's like a computer. Yeah, so, right. And you know, yeah. we all know how that goes. Yes. <laughs> it's planned obsolescence, you know. Right. According to ProPublica, over two-thirds of counties in America use machines for the 2016 election that are over a decade old. And at the same time, the states have been dragging their heels on providing any money because states and localities just don't have the money. It's a very low priority. And we can be sure it's a low priority here in Kentucky. <laughs> and on, on top of that, Kentucky no longer gets any money from HAVA, Help America Vote. But we don't all vote in Kentucky on the optical scan machines. No. And, and, and it, do we have any Only of those touchscreen machines that don't that have no paper trail? Most, I wonder if we have those. Most of Kentucky's voting machines have no paper trail. Unbelievable. Most of them. Because I know that was a huge problem in Georgia. 91 of Kentucky's 120 counties use machines that do not provide paper records. Unbelievable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jefferson County is among only six counties that exclusively use paperback systems that provide a paper record. That is staggering. I did not know that. I thought most of the counties voted on the same type of machines that we have, but that was just an no. assumption on my part. As a matter of fact, I, I found out what machines most of the Kentucky counties vote on. It's called the Heart InterCivic E-Slate, and that's the voting machine company that is heavily invested in by the Romneys. <laughs> the Romneys pretty much own that company. And I wonder if that's the machine where I was reading in um, this wonderful um, book that's available online, free of charge, uh, written by Bev Harris, who was just a normal everyday grandma like you and me who got very alarmed after the 2000 election and started digging into some of the these questions the, the voting machine anomalies the lack of paper the problems in past elections leading up to 2000 and uh, one of the things she mentions is that on and it may be this type of machine the backup is about the size of a credit card 
you put it into the machine at the end of the day, download the data, and then you, th those are all tabulated on a central computer somewhere, right. and then the cards and the tabulation is placed in a sealed envelope and delivered to the appropriate county election supervisor. You know, for each county, the various precincts are done that way. Well, there was an incident in November 2002, so that would have been a midterm election when Bush was the president, the very first midterm after his election. In Fulton County, Georgia, election officials um, stated that memory cards from 67 electronic voting machines had been misplaced. Ah. So the ballots cast on those machines were left out of the totals. They located 56 of the cards later. Those contained 2,180 ballots, but 11 cards were still missing two days after the election. Oh my God. And this is when she mentions that a memory card is just like a ballot box uh -huh. and that these cards are about the size of a credit card. She interviewed a Georgia computer programmer and when this computer programmer quizzed Dr. Britt Williams, who is the official voting machine certifier for the state of Georgia, in a public meeting, uh, Mr. Williams explained that the memory cards had not been lost after all, but they had been inadvertently left in the machines. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then she goes on to say that if you have seven voting machines, for instance, at a polling place, each one has a memory card that stores its votes, so you have seven separate cards, you take all those cards, you put them into a single machine, which accumulates them and runs a report. The, you know, the cards are put in an envelope with that tabulation and given to the county tabulator and a, with a printout of the accumulated results. So if the votes are accumulated from all the cards that, before they're being transmitted to the county, this means all the votes would be transmitted as one batch. So why did 2,180 more votes show up when the individual cards were found to be still inside the machines instead of left out. Because if they were inadvertently put back in the machines instead of being sent to the tabulator, you would have still had the votes counted. You know, you ran the votes and then you put them back in the machine, which was apparently their explanation. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You probably never know the exact vote total for that election no. in that county. And think how easy it would be. And what she did was she compared each of those credit card-like things. It's sort of like a, you know, what we used to call in the old days a floppy disk, and now we right. call a hard drive or a flash drive or whatever. You could stuff those in your sleeve, put them in your pocket, in your purse, and, and each one of those is like a ballot box in the old days, which was a big, you know, a big box full of paper ballots, but now your ballot box is the size of a credit card. And how is it, easy is it yeah. to get rid of a ballot box now? It's a yeah. heck of a lot easier. Right, yeah. exactly. Did we talk about the DEF CON Las Vegas conference yet? And, no. and what they were able to do with five different style voting machines? They were able to hack, what was it, in less than a day? Or was it less than I think an it's hour? Even less. Le this year was really phenomenal. I less think than two minutes. Kids. <laughs> they had kids come in. I've read it. less than two minutes to yeah, hack into right. a voting machine. Right. But this year, DEFCON, the Which defense a... department, brought in their machine and said it's unhackable, and they offered a ten million dollar reward for anyone who could hack it. And then it malfunctioned. <laughs> 
so that was really nice. No so they didn't get to test million. it? No. Somebody explain what DEF CON is, because I'm not sure I know exactly. It's the and Hackers Conference. So you're, you're a loud and proud hacker? Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and companies actually bring things to it to test. Yeah. Because the hackers will tell you what you've done wrong. The term DEF CON comes from the movie War Games, referencing the U.S. Armed Forces Defense Readiness Condition, or DEFCON. Okay, here's what Wikipedia has to say about DEFCON. DEFCON is one of the world's largest and most notable hacker conventions held annually in Las Vegas, Nevada. The first DEFCON took place in June of 1993, and today many attendees at DEFCON include computer security professionals, journalists, lawyers, federal government employees, security researchers, students, and hackers with a general interest in software, computer architecture, hardware modification, and anything else that can be, quote, hacked, unquote. And what is the charge for someone stealing one of those credit cards up their sleeve? Like, do we have, is it a felony? Is it life imprisonment? Like, can we, so that somebody tries to You could always drive. just say you forgot. I, met, I was <laughs> oh, taking right. these to the uh, office and I had an emergency but call. But if we or... say there's severe punishment that goes along with it, it'll be harder to bribe some poor little precinct yes. captain to do it. Yeah. If we if we have really strict guidelines and we say this has to be the protocol, these are people's these are people's yes. this is our country. Yeah, it's We're our democracy. And that is that is our democracy. And if you say this is a first degree felony minimum 20 year sentence if this card is missing, that card probably won't end up missing. It's it's just fascinating to me. I mean, I yeah. I need to look back in this and get all the details, but it's just unbelievably crazy <laughs> that we've gotten to this point where it's so easy a to hack into a machine yeah. because I've read uh, reports from other uh, conventions. I didn't realize they were called DEFCON, but it was minutes yeah, minutes right. when presented with a, a voting machine that they haven't seen before. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Within minutes, they're inside. And I keep thinking, okay, if it's that easy for our folks here in the States to hack into these machines, is there something they have that foreign governments wouldn't have? That, mm -hmm. I mean, why w would it be just as simple for someone on the other side of the planet to hack into mm -hmm. a Jefferson County voting no. machine? Just as or easy. is it just as easy? Just as easy. Yeah. With the internet, everything makes it easy. And that's another thing is that that... The, one thing I read about Kentucky voting machines is that they are not connected to the internet, thank God, but a lot of voting machines are. Mm -hmm. But and I some, wonder what happens when you go to tabulate the results. Is that a computer that's tied to the internet? Probably. I mean, that would be interesting yeah. to know because a lot of times, yeah. like in the 2000 election, I think the results were, and the 2004, the results were being tabulated in a, a small number of central, like, servers. Mm -hmm. Just to remind you, you've been listening to Election Connection on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, and I'm your host, Ruth Newman, here with Angeline Rudd, Melissa Morganson, and Victoria Strange, and we have been talking about things to do with elections, in particular with uh, voting machines, so let's join in on the conversation as we continue to talk about voting machines. Well, you look at when we were in school and you had to fill in the number two pencil and the little yeah. dot. 
those when those were running the machine, those weren't online. I don't believe. No. no. Those were just, and no. maybe that because it's the same That's, kind of fill in the number two pencil yes. on the circle. So it's probably similar. Yeah. Too I, bad that only six counties in Kentucky use those machines because <laughs> it does seem like they would be a bit more yeah. secure. Yeah. They they are. They're considered to be the most hacking immune method is paper ballots with the pencils. And um, I also read that Maryland's election website uses um, software called ByteGrid, which is owned by a Putin associate. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yes. What surprised. do they mean by associate? Like, they're well, peeps? Yeah, they, they didn't work together. elaborate, so I don't know what the, the connection is with Putin, just said a, a Putin associate. So that leaves a little bit to be desired mm -hmm. in information. Gosh. It's too bad because there is a House passed bill this year. That being the Bipartisan Election Security Act of 2019, which was blocked by Senator Mitch McConnell. That would authorize over $600 million for updating voting equipment including requirements that voting machines produce a paper record and stay disconnected from the internet and be produced in the United States. We don't even have that rule, that they have to be produced in the United States. So that is what has been blocked by McConnell. Yes. That, and what was his reasoning And his again? reason was that it imposes federal standards on an issue traditionally handled by states. Mm-hmm seems an odd thing for him to be concerned about. That was a conversation I had back in September of 2019 with Victoria Strange, Melissa Morganson, and Angeline Rudd on the subject of our voting machines and their age and their vulnerability. Just to remind you, this station is WFMP 106.5 FM All Volunteer Radio put on by locals solely for the purpose of the public interest. And this show is Election Connection with me, Ruth Newman, your host. Now it's on to a more recent interview with Greg Pallast, conducted by Tom Hartman on the subject of voter suppression. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is our old buddy Greg Pallast, the investigative journalist uh, for the BBC, The Guardian, Rolling Stone, etc. His new book, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. Uh, GregPallast.com is his website. His Twitter handle, Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, what's, uh, first of all, welcome back, my friend. And secondly, what's the latest that you're hearing about um, the primaries that we're seeing with these long line primaries from Georgia, you know, on to uh, yesterday, we, we, we saw the same thing in Kentucky, um, well, around the country, these long line primaries being translated into a disaster in November. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, we had a pretty good imitation of democracy, but we're still a long way from the real thing. So we had massive lines, and we have to ask why. Um, and, when, and by the way, look at the color of the people on the massive lines, Tom. Uh, right. in, in Atlanta, I... One of my associates actually walked along a line that was nearly a quarter mile long. Now, if you think people in uh, African Americans in Atlanta just don't have enough sense to stay out of a line of sick people for hours and, and you know, just enjoy standing in the sun for hours, the answer is that's not what happened. 
You really well, did have Greg, I gotta tell you. with the mail-in ballots, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived in Georgia for 13 years. We lived in Cobb County and, uh, you know, uh-huh. north, uh, the northern Atlanta suburbs. We lived for, for about half that time uh, in, in uh, Marietta and about half that, that time, uh, in, uh, you know, just north of Marietta. And I never waited more than 10 minutes to vote, ever. These were mostly you aren't by any chance a a white man, are you? Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's one set of lines for black people, one set of lines for white, and one of the reasons it happens, you've had them in in so many of these states, and this was in, and I've gotten reports. Interestingly, I've had three of the top voting rights attorneys in America say that either they or their family had trouble voting. Uh, So, for example, um, in uh, Georgia. Um, the head of the uh, ACLU of Georgia, Andrea Young, uh, put in for a, a mail-in ballot 45 days before the election. Uh, she got hers, but her husband got his on, on June 10. In other words, a day after the election, that's when he received his ballot. So, of course, he had to then stand in line for hours and, and end up with a, with a provisional ballot and, and fight over that one. Same thing with uh, Stacey Abrams. Now, here's a good one. Uh, I think that it's a bit humid in, in Georgia in June, right? And um, so Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, who is, well, fair fight Georgia, we've talked about, African-American. So she gets her, her ballot, and the envelope that you have to return the vote in is sealed shut because they used, in Georgia, they were using the regular envelopes, and the humidity sealed the envelope. You rip open that envelope, you have no choice. You've just lost your vote. Now, Stacey because Abrams you've, knew, you've tampered with the with the delivery system for returning it. That's right, and a lot of people, and this is going to be a big problem with mail-in voting. Now, I want people to understand, uh, Greg Palast is totally in favor of mail-in voting, safe, don't-die voting. What I am concerned about is that we don't have that system developed in the United States and in most places outside of Oregon uh, and Washington. Uh, we have tremendous problems. So, again, so Stacey Abrams got a ballot. Um, with the return envelope sealed, she breaks that, she loses her vote. Now, she knows that because she's a top voting rights attorney, so she can go. She knew that she would have to go to her county office and get a new envelope, believe it or not. But you can, there are thousands and thousands of people who will, for all kinds of reasons, they'll lose that envelope, and they'll, they'll make their own envelope. You're going to lose your vote. Hundreds of thousands of voters lose their mail-in votes because they created their own envelope or they messed up the envelope in some way. You have to use that official envelope. That was Stacey Abrams, and again, you know, uh, the ACLU's uh, head of the ACLU, her husband um, didn't get his ballot in time uh, in New York. Neil Rosenstein, the, the chief voting rights attorney for the New York Public Interest Group, uh, his daughter, I won't mention her name on the air, but uh, she didn't get her mail-in ballot. Turns out she was scrubbed. Uh, her her father, the big shot lawyer, went with her to try to get her a vote, and they uh, they said, no, here's a provisional ballot. Go have fun with yourself. Uh, we know what provisional ballots are. They're, I won't say they're never counted. I want to be very careful about that. About a, one in three or so of the provisional ballots are never counted. But there were all, three million provisional ballots in 2016. A million weren't counted. And I'm telling you, Hillary Clinton's victory was in that pile of a million ballots thrown out because young voters and voters of color get provisional ballots about 300 percent or more often than older white people. And so, right. you, so you've got a big problem here with the, uh, with the mail-in, but we can, we can figure out how to do it. We can figure out how to fix it.
But that's well, we've got, got five states Trump. that are all mail-in ballots, and you've got another four yep. or five states where it's super, super easy. Um, it seems to me that we need a federal, uh, we need to establish voting as a right. So the states are, are uh, you know, I mean, right now it's, it's, it's opt-in rather than opt-out, if you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's yes. uh, you know, and, and is, there a, is there a movement toward that within the Democratic Party? Yeah, there is among the Democratic Party, but guess what? They don't control the Senate, Tom. I think you, right. you're aware of that. Right. So we can have all kinds of great ideas. Amy Klobuchar has a bill in. Uh, um, Senator Harris has a bill in. A lot of people have bills in. We're going to have to take care of our own vote. We're going to have to have a campaign of education. Like things like, right. don't use your own envelope. And I'm sorry, and, and if it didn't arrive, you're going to have to go down to your county clerk's office and pick up that, that ballot. Or go or in call and them and ask them to mail you a new one? Yeah, if if they'll if you can get to them, and that's always a problem. Right. So we, because remember, we're not talking now about a few thousand people asking for absentee ballots. We're talking about states going from less than hundred thousand absentee ballots to several million, as in Georgia. I'm not going to let them off the hook and say it's not intentional, because they know what's going to happen here, and they are hostile to the mail-in voters. In fact, things are going the, the wrong way. Like in Georgia, there's a bill in to prevent. Uh, the state from sending out cards asking you if you want a mail-in ballot. You know, the governor right. did send out, uh, while well, I'm not And that's not, not unique to Georgia, by the way. Yeah, so they're trying to stop people from even being sent a postcard saying, would you like to mail in your vote? Uh, would you like to get a mail-in ballot? And this is our biggest problem, by the way, that 20, the reason 22% of mail-in ballots don't get counted, according to MIT Caltech study, that's one in five votes don't get counted, is that the biggest loss is people not getting their ballot in the first place. You know, you can't mail, it back, you can't mail in a ballot if it's not mailed to you. And, um, you know, and, and of course, so they're trying to slow that down. By the way, it's not true. You can't, we're not going to get thousands and millions of ballots from Kazakhstan and Russia filled out because every mail in yeah, this is Trump's latest thing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's hysterical. Uh, well, I mean, maybe he mailed his ballot to Moscow, so I, don't, I have no idea. But it doesn't yeah. go the other way because each ballot has a code on it. And you can't just start mailing in ballots because they won't have the code or they'll be matched with someone else. So it's, it's, I don't even know why I'm, I'm talking about fraud and mail-in ballots being mailed from other countries. This is how ridiculous the discussion has become, Tom. It's gone into nutcaseville because of Agent Orange. And so, no, I do want to assure people, no, your, your mail-in vote won't be flooded out by a bunch of, of guys from the Ukraine uh, mailing in uh, right. for Rand Paul. You know, that's not right. going to happen. Yeah. But the bottom line is, if you are presented with the choice, uh, you know, or presenting yourself essentially with the choice of either going through the hassle of getting a mail-in ballot or simply not voting because you're not willing to die in order to vote, uh, go to the trouble of getting the mail-in ballot, even if it does get screwed up, right? And yeah, and look, look, we have to, some of it is learning how to fill out a mail-in ballot. You think, well, it's because it's not just, mm -hmm. you know, pick and lick. You don't just pick a candidate and lick the stamp. Number one, you may need two stamps. We had a hundred and over a hundred thousand ballots in 2016, mail-in ballots, deep sixed because they were missing a, a stamp or two stamps. Like in Ohio, you really right. need two stamps. And so it's, and people don't know this because again, a lot of these GOP states are terribly hostile to mail-in voting. Well, here in Oregon, it's, learn how it's, to do uh, it. You know, the envelopes are postage paid. You don't have to put a stamp on them. I mean, it's in just, Oregon, you know, not in, so not in Georgia. friggin' easy. Yeah, no, I get it. 
Greg Palast is his, his new book, and you, you're going to want to read this, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hump for America's Vanished Voters. Uh, be out in a couple of weeks. Greg underscore Palast on Twitter. Greg, thanks so much for dropping by. That was Greg Palast, award-winning investigative reporter, talking to Tom Hartman about voter suppression in 2020. And you're listening to WFMP 106.5 FM, Grassroots Community Radio, where we invite you to become part of the conversation by going to forwardradio.org. You can also keep our public airwaves local and community-oriented by helping us out financially. Again, our website is www. Dot forwardradio.org. This is Election Connection, and I'm your host, Ruth Newman. In our next segment, we hear from three of our congressional representatives. The first is Congresswoman Terry Sewell of Alabama's 7th District. As a proud daughter of Selma, Alabama, and the representative of Alabama's Civil Rights District, the legacy of voting rights runs deep in my blood. I believe that there is no truer cause more important to our democracy than the access to the ballot box by all Americans. Sadly, this nation mourns the passing of our colleague, my hero, Congressman John Robert Lewis, a hero in the civil rights and voting rights movement and a staunch longtime advocate for voting rights. As a little girl growing up in Selma, the stories of John Lewis's bravery was as much a a part of my upbringing as any Bible verse or family lore. As an adult, I know that my very existence as Alabama's first black Congresswoman was only made possible because of the sacrifice of John Lewis and those foot soldiers. As John would say, he shed a little blood on that bridge in my hometown for the right of every American to vote. John's courage and mentorship gave me and so many of us the right to walk the halls of Congress and of state houses across this country. I think it's apt that HR 4, the Voting Rights Advancement Act was renamed the John Robert Lewis Voting Rights Act of 1965. And it's been my honor to be the lead house sponsor since the 2013 Shelby versus Holder decision which gutted the Voting Rights Act. I am honored every day to carry that piece of legislation. And because you went to the polls in 2018 and ushered in a Democratic House majority, we finally passed H.R. 4 out of the House, and it sits on the desk of Mitch McConnell languishing on the Senate. And I know that you will hear from my Senate advocates who have proudly supported H.R. 4 and its passage. We know that we have a tremendous loss with John Lewis, but we also know that there are actors afoot trying to make sure that voter suppression is the rule of the day and not that we have access to the ballot box. You know, as I feel sad about the loss of John Lewis, I know that he sowed many seeds in so many people, the seeds of hope and inspiration. We can hear his voice, never give up, never give in. The vote is the most important nonviolent tool in our democracy. Let's make sure we preserve it. I'm doing that every day on the Hill, and I am honored to be doing that with Senator Leahy. Senator Leahy of Vermont is a lead sponsor of HR4 on the Senate side, has been an advocate supporter of voting rights his whole career. And I now introduce Senator Patrick Leahy. Thank you very much, Congresswoman. And 
I would so appreciate the times we could be together talking about this. And both you and I will remember standing there with our dear friend John Lewis saying, we want this. And the timing of this documentary couldn't be more urgent. Our dear friend and hero, think of what John said. He called the right to vote, and I quote, the most powerful nonviolent tool we have to create a more perfect union. Just think of that. We're looking at our watch. Americans' fundamental right to vote faces unprecedented threats. Voter suppression schemes are colliding with the COVID-19 pandemic, and that could potentially disenfranchise countless Americans ahead of the November election. John Lewis's thundering words just months ago echo even more loudly today. He said, when you see something that's not right, you have a moral obligation to do something. Our children and their children will ask us, what did you do? All of us, every single one of us, have to stand up in defense of our precious right to vote. John fearlessly did that all his life and almost gave his life on the bridge doing that. So last month here in the Senate, I introduced the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I very rarely get emotional on the Senate floor, but I got choked up talking about our friend John as I did that. And I'm thankful that 48 Senate co-sponsors are on there. They would restore the Landmark Voting Rights Act and help stop the scourge of voter suppression. The House passed their legislation, as the Congresswoman knows, is a leader in that, in December. Now the Senate must do its part, and Mitch McConnell's Republican leader has got to stop stalling. Bring it up. Have the courage. Vote for it or vote against it. Don't just hide it and pretend you're thinking of it, but being afraid to vote. I'm not afraid to vote. I know how I'll vote. But Americans also have to demand more. The COVID-19 pandemic threatens our ability to safely cast our ballots. And despite the president embracing bogus conspiracy theories and fact-free Twitter rants in the middle of the night, a number of states have successfully and securely used mail-in ballots for years. My state of Vermont has. But we need urgently federal help to expand mail-in voting operations. Time of COVID, that's going to be critical for American safety, but also for their vote so that every single vote can count. Senate Republicans, you know how much money they had in their package for state election assistance? Not one cent. It's unacceptable. Americans have to urge Congress to assist our states so we're not forced to risk our health simply to exercise a right that all Americans have. So I think the film plays an important role. It's going to educate Americans about what we have here, what's at stake. Suppress 2020 will inspire Americans to keep fighting for a change. I want everybody, Republicans and Democrats, to look at it because this is not a Republican or Democratic issue. This is an American issue. You can access this film, Suppressed 2020, The Fight to Vote, produced by Brave New Films, by searching for it on YouTube. 
Indeed, the right to vote is what gives democracy its name. I was proud when John Lewis called me his brother. But I think of him when I think of how we have to protect this right vigilantly. John did this every, every single day with every fiber of his body. He's passed the baton to us. Now it's our turn to keep on marching. And I'm so happy to see my friend, Senator Cory Booker. He's a strong and respected voice. He's one of the very few people in all my years here. When he stands up to speak in our caucus, people shut up and actually listen to him because it's worthwhile. So Corey, my dear friend, it's all yours. Thank you very much. It's so good to be here. I, I, I have to say that Senator Leahy is not only one of the more esteemed and respected senators right now in the Senate, but if you look at his career, he will undoubtedly go down as one of the great uh, most accomplished senators uh, in the Senate history, and it's great to be on with him right now. And Terry Sewell, uh, who is my friend, partner, sister on the other side of the Capitol, it's great to have you here as well. And I just want to start by saying thank you to the makers of this film. The film he's talking about is Suppressed 2020, The Fight to Vote, put out by Brave New Films, and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, I love documentary film, and whether it's from uh, issues of our environment all the way to uh, understandings how plastics are, are destroying our oceans, documentary film is one of the incredible ignition points right now for so much activism. And this film, to me, is at the crux, at the center of so many other issues going on in our democracy. Because whatever issue is important to you, the roots will always be in us being a representative democracy where everyone has a voice and your vote is your voice. We have come this far, whether it's the 15th Amendment, whether it's the 19th Amendment, by activism and struggle. We know from the 1870, 15th Amendment, we know from the suffrage movement and the 1920 Amendment that these came about because of the activism of others. As Frederick Douglass, that abolitionist himself said, if there's no struggle, there is no progress. And we stand on the shoulders of activists who, who secured for us rights that we cannot take for granted. We are here because of that Voting Rights Act that was struggled for, uh, fought for, that people died. Remember, Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner died in Mississippi, registering people to vote. And that fateful legacy of Bloody Sunday, where incredible marchers, including John Lewis, were beaten savagely. All of that effort helped to get us a voting rights law. But I fear for my generation and all of us now in this current moment in history, because we've seen through the Shelby decision, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. We've seen states from Texas to North Carolina move quickly before the ink was even dry on that decision to pass restrictive laws undermining people's ability to get to the polls. In fact, a judge in North Carolina, a federal judge, said that the North Carolina legislature wrote that bill that restricted the vote with surgical-like precision to undermine the ability for African Americans to vote. And so you're going to see through this film that we are in a distraught present. And it's not getting better in many ways, it's getting worse. We see as we are sitting here in the recent days, uh, our president really attacking uh, uh, vote by mail and trying to delegitimize it 
and literally taking states like, like Nevada uh, to court, trying to stop them from making it easier for people to vote safely from home during a pandemic. He is preemptively trying to question the legitimacy of a November outcome. He is taking on the Postal Service and doing things to try to uh, uh, slow their functioning of the Postal Service, which is vital to conducting vote by mail. And we see this uh, over and over again as we face challenges. And so we have action to do now to not lose ground that was gained by sweat and struggle and blood and even death. History will judge our generation by what we do in the face of not just trying to hold the ground on the rights that our parents and grandparents' generation gained for us, but what we do to advance that ground, what we do to make voting more robust, to do things that are common sense, like what about voting being a national holiday? What about automatic voter registration? And more that can make voting in this country vibrant and dynamic. And that's not a partisan issue. That's a patriotic issue. Every generation, as I've said, from the amendments to our constitution to the activism of my parents' generation has worked to expand the franchise in this country and secure it. And we cannot stop now. And so I leave you with this. I'm here because of voting rights activists. I love that obviously you have two senators and an amazing congresswoman, but change does not come from Washington, it comes to Washington by people standing up and accepting the responsibility that this is my country. I will not surrender to cynicism. I will not just say the system is rigged and sit back and do nothing. Then you are complicit in the problems. This documentary is powerful, but its true test will be whether it helps to ignite you to do more than you're doing now. Because if you do the same thing you've been doing now, well, we've been losing ground. You can't expect different results. This is one of those moral moments in history. If you truly, truly honor those who struggle for the rights you take for granted, well, every generation has to prove worthy of the rights they inherited by advancing them. I wanna thank the filmmakers one more time. I wanna thank my colleagues for being on this, but I wanna thank you, the viewer of this film, because truly you have the destiny of our country in your hands. As the great James Baldwin said, at the end of the fire next time, Everything now we must assume is in our hands. We have no right to assume otherwise. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, honor you all. Let's continue the work. Let's continue the struggle. Let's make our ancestors in heaven looking down upon us, including John Lewis, are proud that we have done that good work, caused that good trouble, gotten the way, made the sacrifice, to ensure that generations yet to come a benefit in the bounty and blessings of this democracy. Thank you. That was Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. Coming up is part of a trailer to the film Suppress 2020, The Fight to Vote, and you can go find it on YouTube. How will I be able to vote without putting my life in danger? The Black Lives Matter actions make voting more important than ever. Will this health crisis become a constitutional crisis? Am I going to be able to vote in November? 
have a historic decision today striking down a key part of the Voting Rights Act, a civil rights law passed back in 1965. The Supreme Court essentially said racism is over and these communities don't need to pre-clear these changes anymore. This decision leaves virtually unprotected minority voters in communities all over this country. It let the dogs out. It let these racially discriminatory voting laws to just run wild. Within hours of the Voting Rights Act being gutted, Texas had a new strict photo ID law. And within days, Alabama announced its own repressive voter ID law. We are witnessing a tidal wave of voter suppression around the country. 200,000 more people would have voted in Wisconsin if not for their strict voter ID law. Voter purges have become rampant. Since the 2016 election, states have removed almost 17 million voters nationwide. You describe Georgia as the epicenter of the current voter suppression battle. What has earned Georgia that distinction? Georgia's tight race for governor is getting national attention. Brian Kemp is not only the Republican gubernatorial nominee, he's Georgia's Secretary of State. Stacey Abrams looking to make history by becoming the nation's first female African-American governor. Pull back that veneer. And you see something really rotten happening. It's almost like termites coming in. They're in the wood. They're eating the wood away and you don't even realize your house is getting ready to collapse until it's almost too late. We've got to understand, this isn't a clan cross burning. This stuff is very bureaucratic, is very mundane, it's very routine, but it is lethal. The film is Suppressed 2020, The Fight to Vote, and it is available on YouTube, and the show Election Connection is now out of time, so this is Ruth Newman bidding you farewell for now, and please stay safe.